Heavenly Father, I pray that we truly sing that from our, the depths of our heart. That, Father, that we would surrender ourselves to the point where we can say, take my life. And let it be used of thee, Father. Take my heart. Take my will. Father, as we open your word once again, Lord, I pray that we might gain an understanding once again of what it means to be committed to you at all costs. And Father, we thank you again for the lessons we will learn through the life of Esther. And we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to Esther chapter 6 together. Esther we're in, the, in chapter 6. Here we have arrived at the very important chapter in the whole story. And again, as a refresher, as we look back on, on what we have studied thus far, uh, Esther became queen because the old queen had been removed. God providentially put Esther in uh, position as queen of Persia. And here this young Jewish girl is now queen. And of course, the king's name is Ahasuerus or Xerxes. And uh, what he says goes. And, And he, for some reason, exalted a man named Haman. And he was a wicked man who hated the Jews. And he particularly hated Esther's guardian, godfather, as you may call him, uh, who took care of her and raised her, uh, Mordecai. Mordecai, of course, uh, was told Esther, don't tell anybody you're a Jew. Now that you become queen, we have to keep that a secret. And... uh, for the sake of the Jews, it was best that the king didn't know this. But uh, Haman then devised a plan, which uh, he got the king's approval to basically kill all the Jews in the provinces, in the whole kingdom, to wipe out the Jews. He was kind of the Hitler of that day, wanting to, to wipe them out. And so he made preparations. And of course, the one man he hated the most was Mordecai, uh, this Jew that would not bow down to him as as Haman was placed as second in command of the kingdom, or third uh, under Esther, but uh, right uh, right hand of the king. And he, he had all this authority, and any time he walked anywhere, walked by, people would bow down to him or Neil, and when he came to Mordecai sitting there in the king's gate, uh, he, Mordecai wouldn't even bother to, to stand up or, or even look at him, and that infuriated Haman. And so uh, all the more angry, he went home, and as you recall, we studied that he went home to his wife and family, and they said, well, why don't you just get rid of this Jew? Just remove him and uh and and his wife actually came up with the idea why don't you build some gallows and just hang him and he had the power to do it and so 
he loved the idea, made him happy. And, uh, and of course, the word went out, the posters went out, the Jews were going to be killed. <clears throat> and as word spread, Mordecai got word, and he was, he was heartbroken, and he went to, uh, he, he fasted, he wore sackcloth and ashes, and then he, he sent a message, you remember, to Esther, telling Esther, saying, uh, we need you. The Jewish people need you to intervene for them. And speak to the king that he might stop what Haman is doing to wipe out our people. And at first she was hesitant because she didn't want to lose her life. But then there was a point where she finally said, yes, I'll do it. If I perish, I perish. She was willing to lay down her life for her people. And so, as you recall, she prepared a banquet. She told the king, I'd like to have a banquet and invite Haman just the two of you and me, just an intimate party. I have something I'd like a request. I'd like to ask you. So they had the party, the banquet, and for some reason, Esther did not ask the king and bring up the subject of the Jews, uh, this, uh, this whole order to kill the Jews that Haman had come up with. So she, at the end of the banquet, she says, I'd like to have a second banquet. So I'd like to have, oh, king, I'd like to have you and, and invite Haman again. And Haman goes home. He's thrilled. He thinks he's the cat's meow. And she wants to, boy, they, they want to make, the queen wants to make a banquet for me. But during that time, uh, as you recall, uh, when, when Esther said that she would do this and told Mordecai, she asked Mordecai to ask the Jews to begin fasting to spend time in prayer and fasting for three days. And after three days, then she was planning, had this banquet, but then she still held off. But it was, I believe it was the prayers of God's people and, and their fasting, the turning to the Lord that suddenly changed the events and turned things in a different way. And so that's where we come to here in chapter 6, all right? Um, Just look at, uh, again, real quickly at chapter 5, verse 14, the last verse there. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, have a gallows 50 cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. So they're hammering away, and the 75-foot gallows was being prepared for Mordecai. But now we come to chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read 1 through 3. During that night, the king could not sleep. So he gave an order to bring the book of records the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it, and it was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning uh, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Again, you recall that this is kind of how 
Mordecai first got uh, <clears throat> word to the, uh, kind of gotten the good books of the king. Uh, he had he was standing near the king's gate, and he overheard these eunuchs making a plot to assassinate King Ahasuerus. And so, with Mordecai hearing that. He sent word through Esther to the king that there was a plot against his life. He had those men arrested, and, uh, and they were put to death. But So th- that happened, but it's kind of like <clears throat> Mordecai just disappeared into the woodwork. The whole plan, the, the, the whole uh, saving of the king's life, the king just went on with his business, and nothing ever came of it. Uh, no, no banquet for Mordecai. But here's, <clears throat> excuse me, this was, and this happened about five years earlier from where we are reading now, okay? This night, the, um, the revealing of the plot took, uh, took place about five years earlier. But notice the king could not sleep. Now, we don't know why he couldn't sleep, but there was something that kept him awake. Something, for some reason, he could not sleep. So when you ever had a night where you couldn't sleep, what do you usually do? Uh, Maybe you turn on the TV, but most of the time, how many of you ever just grabbed a book, right? Or you, you took your Bible and began to read. Reading sometimes is the best way to get back to sleep, isn't it? And especially if you read a history book, try that sometime. That will put you to sleep real fast. Well, the king couldn't sleep. I wonder why God intervened at this moment of all times. And I want us to to really take a look in this chapter at the timing of God's hand, the impeccable timing of God in the life of Esther and Mordecai and the Jews and, the, and to thwart the whole plan that Satan was, was orchestrating behind the scenes through this man, Haman. So what, where does God go? He goes to the mind of the king. He begins to work on the king and keeps him from falling asleep you know it's amazing how sleep god has used sleep many times to accomplish his will turn quickly we'll come back here turn quickly to genesis 41 if you go to genesis 41 with me verse 25 Here's the story of Joseph. And you recall the whole situation about Pharaoh. And what was the problem? What what had happened to the Pharaoh at this time? He had a dream. And he, he couldn't figure out what it was all about. He couldn't interpret it. None of his... His uh, wise men could interpret it. And look at verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams 
are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. This, this is the key verse right here in the whole story. And then Joseph, of course, goes on to explain the dream to Pharaoh, what it means. And this, of course, caused Pharaoh to say, Bravo, Joseph, I'm going to make you second in command of my kingdom. And he was elevated. Much like Esther was elevated, Joseph was elevated. God used Joseph at this particular time to interpret the dream. But notice Joseph says, God has told Pharaoh about what he's going to do. In other words, Joseph is saying, God brought the dream to you. God was working in your mind while you were asleep. And so here's one of those uh, accounts where God was working when someone either went to sleep, had dreams, or, of course, couldn't sleep. And then, uh, as in our story in Esther, does anybody recall another important dream uh, in the Old Testament? A man who had a dream. Yes, thank you, Bob. Nebuchadnezzar, yes. He had, God sent the dream to him. And of course, the Lord had it prepared that his man, Daniel, would be able to interpret the dream. There is another occasion, another account. So I just wanted us to see this because God works many times in different ways. Sometimes he works when someone is sleeping or or they should be sleeping and they can't sleep. God begins to work. And so turn back with me to Esther 6. And we come back here. And so what does the king do? He he decides to to pick a book. A history book, uh, the, the book of records, it's called, the Chronicles, verse 1, the end of verse 1. And uh, notice, they were read before the king. Okay, so uh, do you remember when your kids were tiny and you read them a book before they went to bed? You would read, read to them, or maybe you, you got read to by a parent. And uh, I remember doing that to, uh, for both our girls, reading a little story, Bible story or something before they went to bed, and it made them sleepy. And so uh, basically the king didn't do any reading himself. He had, being the king, he had his servants come in and read to him. And so they begin to read the history of the kingdom. Because everything was always chronicled and written down in ancient civilizations. And that's, we found many uh, in, in archaeology, uh, many clay tablets and other uh, modes of writing that, that revealed all the history of civilizations because they were all written down, everything that would happen. And so he's reading, they're reading to him in verse 2, and it was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, and they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Verse 3, And the king said, 
What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who had attended him said, well, nothing has been done. Nothing has been done. In other words, there was no reward for Mordecai. His his good works, what he did in saving the king's life, um, kind of disappeared into history. But look how God is working. He wakes, he keeps the king awake to the point where he calls for the book of Chronicles. And he says, I can't sleep. Guys, read to me. And they happen to start reading about the story of Mordecai saving the king's life through the revealing of the plot. It's written down. The timing of this, God made sure that the right book would come into the king's presence, that the right book would be read, that the right story about Mordecai, the account would be read that it, suddenly, and then it would capture the attention of the king. And he would, he would begin to say, wow, I, whatever happened to this guy? He saved my life. And so God is working right here in this room at this particular time, And he's working in the king's heart. He's working in the king's heart. By the way, the the books. uh, God is keeping books of every single person that ever existed. And there's a book of every human being. And there are the books that are... And it's it's an interesting study if you go into the uh, New Testament and you see the the books uh, that... Uh, is spoken of the books that are written uh, written about that are God's books in heaven that he keeps record of your works and mine of those who are, are wicked and in dying in their sin God's got a book on their life of the good works and the bad works in fact turn with me to Revelation real quick Revelation 20 let's go over to Revelation 20 Verse 11, and here at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ when Satan is let loose and, uh, and he uh, stirs up the nations to attack Jesus who is on the throne in Jerusalem, but then Jesus uh, destroys, uh, God sends fire down from heaven and destroys those armies. And then verse, look at verse 10 actually. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And this, of course, is the Lord Jesus who is going to be, who is judging here on the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. Everybody's got a book. And, every, and, and then he goes on. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. So there's the, the, the book of works that God is keeping for everyone. But this judgment, as you recall, this judgment at the great white throne, no believers will be there. We have already uh, had, as it were, a judgment with Christ, but it's called the judgment seat of Christ, which the Apostle Paul talked about. And that talk, there Paul has talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then we will receive rewards. Our works will be judged. And that's when our books will be opened. But it won't have to do with whether or not we're going to heaven or hell because we are already saved. But it's going to be as to what kind of rewards the Lord is going to give us in the kingdom. But here, these are all the unbelievers of all time. Their souls are now standing before Jesus and the books of their life are open. Now, and then... Look at verse 14. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And of course, this is that eternal death. We talk about physical death here on earth, but then there's this, what's called the second death, which is eternity, where the soul of the unsaved are going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. It's like an ongoing, it's called the second death because it's like experiencing death, but forever. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, this is also called the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here's a book, the Lamb's book of life, and your name is written in it. My name is written in it. We who have trusted Christ and have been saved, our names are forever written in that book. And so we know that our, our names are there. But the ones at this judgment seat, the book is going to be opened. He's going to say, your name is not here. You have not been saved by the blood of the Lamb. But there were, they still will be judged by their works. And therefore, when in, in hell, there are going to be different degrees of punishment. Just like there are different degrees of reward for us who are the bride of Christ, so when it comes to these, this la, these last days here, when all souls stand before him, uh, not everybody is going to experience the same suffering and torment and punishment in hell that others will, will because God will actually take into account their good, any good works on earth. So it will be more tolerable. And, and how do we know this? Well, and I'm sorry if I'm going down a rabbit trail here, but it just takes, takes me down here that, uh, because I think it's important to, to, to know and understand. Do you remember when Jesus <clears throat> uh, condemned certain uh, cities that rejected him? And so he said, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Capernaum. For it will be more 
anybody remember? Tolerable for, uh, for Sodom and Gomorrah in, in, in hell. It will be more tolerable for them, for that city, the wickedness of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was, hell is going to be more tolerable than it will be for those who were the cities that rejected Jesus while he was on earth. Jesus said it himself that there will be degrees. So I just wanted to point that out. But you see, so the king has his books. Let's go back to Esther real quick. And this king has all the works that were done in his kingdom. And now he finds the works of Mordecai. And what's wonderful is God already has the works of Mordecai and Esther written down in his books. They will be rewarded someday. But God sometimes will reward his people here on earth for their good works. And that's exactly what is going to happen here. So look at verse 4 together. Back in chapter 6, verse 4. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows, which he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said to him, Well, behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. Hey, what a coincidence. What a coincidence. Have you ever talked to the folk that say, what a coincidence this happened to me? Or what a coincidence that, that basically, and the, the other word they use is luck. Boy, did I luck out. There's no such thing as luck. God is in sovereign control of all things. And every single detail in your life and my life, he has under control. And so his timing is always perfect. Our God's timing, he's never early, he's never late. And God brought in Haman just at the time when the king is looking for someone to talk to about this Mordecai guy. How can we, how can we honor him? What's the best way to honor him? Haman's coming just at that time to talk to the king and said, by the way, I'm going to go hang this guy out here, this Jew, Mordecai. And so he was getting ready to do it. Look at the timing of God. In verse 5, I'm sorry, uh, let's go to verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? So he's asking Haman a question. Now, Haman has no idea this is about Mordecai. Haman, look what it says then about Haman. And Haman said to himself, okay, he's thinking this to himself. Whom would the king desire to honor more than me? Boy, there's a proud man. Yeah, oh, the king's asking about honoring a a special man, uh, desiring to honor somebody. Well, it's got to be me. I got to be the guy. You know, there's... Who else really could it be? Haman had a problem with pride, don't you think? And how sad it is when you see people who are so proud and arrogant and self-confident and self-righteous 
and they just build themselves up and they think that they're going to get everything their way. But what does pride do? Proverbs 16, 18, do you recall this? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so that is exactly what God is going to bring about at this point in time to Haman. And so he's looking, basically he's looking at himself in the mirror and going, wow, there's nobody better looking than me. And the king's got to pick me. You've heard the term narcissistic. Yeah, that term. I don't know. Some, some of you may uh, know where that has come from, that term. But the Greeks had a mythical hero named Narcissus. Narcissus, I'm sorry, Narcissus. He was the most handsome man alive. How about that? But he would shun the love of all the women who sought after him. And a woman fell in love with him, but he spurned her as well. Well, she then... Uh, she wished it, uh, he, she put kind of a, a wish or a curse on him, wishing that he would love himself as much as others loved him. And so uh, Narcissus then came upon a pool of water, and when he bent over down to get a drink he suddenly became enraptured with himself as he saw his image in the water burning for love of himself to the point where he could not draw himself away to his own destruction he starved to death as he gazed longly upon his own reflection (laughs) how about that that's where we get the word narcissistic a person is narcissistic It's all about them. They're in love with themselves, and that is Haman. Haman is is just this guy. So he thinks it's him. The king's talking about him. And then, uh, okay, the king asked him, right? Look at verse 7. Then Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king desires to honor, well, this is what I would do, king. Verse 8, let them bring a royal robe, which the king has worn. Ooh, screen-worn robe. How about that? By a famous man. And the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to to one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor, and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him. Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. He's thinking of the best way that, you know, he figures he's going to be the guy. The king's going to do all this for him. So he comes with this lavish scheme on how to honor somebody. But then look at verse... Verse 10, then the king said to Haman, take quickly the robes and the horses, the horse, as you have said, and do so for 
Mordecai, the Jew. Whoa. Can you imagine suddenly he hears this news? The king is looking at him and he says, yeah, the guy I want this done to is Mordecai. I can't even imagine what, what, what anger and, uh, must have filled his, this uh, Haman's heart. He could not believe this. Where did this come from? God put it on the king's heart. God put Mordecai on the king's heart. So he says, take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. He knew where he was. He's always been there. Do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. In other words, hey, Haman, you came up with this idea. Great. Go carry it out. Verse 11. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him. Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Here, the great Haman suddenly is a servant pulling the horse upon which Mordecai was riding, robed in the king's garments. And Haman has to go around yelling in the street, Behold, the man whom the king desires. Behold, the man who the king desires. How humiliating. Took God, brought him low. Brought him low. And verse 12, Then Mordecai, Returned to the king's gate, (laughs) but Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. Poor guy. Don't you feel bad for him? Here he is. Where is he running when he gets upset? He runs home to mama. And so he goes home to his wife, right? He runs back. And he's got his head covered again. He can't believe that this has just happened. Verse 13 and 14 as we close. And Haman recounted to Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Remember the last time he did this? Wife came up with this great idea. Why don't you hang the guy? Yeah, sounds like a good idea. The tables have turned. Because of the sovereignty of God. Because God thwarted the plans of evil. And then he says, he says, tells his wife everything. Then his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, verse 13, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him but will surely fall before him. His wife is now telling Haman, hey, you might as well throw in the towel. Do you know what you did? The guy you were going to hang is a Jew. He's the guy the king favors now. He's a Jew. And you put out this, this new uh Uh, you know, uh, policy to kill all the Jews. The wife says, guess what? You thought he was going to fall. Husband, you're going to fall. 
This is going to be your downfall. And verse 14, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Here's that second banquet. And he's not coming as a happy camper, is he? No, he is not. And here his whole world has come crashing down on him. And turn in closing here real quick to Romans 12 because I want you to see this. Because there are going to be people in your life, there have been already and there will be to come while we are on earth and we are the children of God, that we are going to be persecuted. Just like there are going to be Hamans in your life and my life. But Romans 12 verse 14. Romans 12 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. There's pride. But associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. There's that narcissism. Shouldn't be any in a Christian's life. Verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, the best you can do, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil. Uh, do, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What do we take with us tonight? One, God is in sovereign control of your life and every detail in it. No matter what's coming, your, what has come your way, what will come your way, he has it all planned out and timed perfectly. And when evil befalls you, And there may be a person that suddenly out of the clear blue hates you like Haman hated Mordecai. And and they have something against you. Maybe you didn't do anything to deserve it. But they have, and it might be someone in the family. It's so easily as someone in the family who turns against us. It is at that moment we should, again, take this scripture to heart and remember, leave God as our defender let God be the defender and the judge he will do what is right and I I'm going to trust him to take care of me against any Hamans that come into my life and when we do that you and I will have sweet sleep we will have a peaceful night's sleep because we're not holding that unbitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts isn't that wonderful let's pray together Heavenly Father, I thank you so much again for the many truths you have shown us through the story of Esther. And Lord, I pray that we might be like Mordecai, not looking to get revenge, but Lord, you have 
worked all things out according to your will back then and you are in our lives tonight. Father, help us to understand and grasp that, your sovereignty, and that you are in control of all things in our life to the very detail and the very second of th- that things happen. Oh, Father, what a comfort to know that. And may we leave judgment, Father, in your hands for any, any evil that comes against us. Thank you for these truths, Father, as we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.